Hello, it's JP and welcome to the podcast. Just a reminder that if you've got a good personal story that you'd like to tell me about, then do get in touch with me. You can DM me on Twitter at Devlin underscore JP or you can email me jpdevlin at me.com. So on to this episode, and I'm continuing with this little short series talking to people uh, who live on their own to ask what it's like living on your own during the pandemic. In this episode, I talked to Laura from Maidstone in Kent, and I asked her how she's been coping so far. I think for the most part, I've been very lucky because I have a lovely little house with a garden and chickens. And... I've been able to continue working. So in that sense, it's been absolutely fine. But then you're surrounded by all of this chaos and horror going on in the world. And so there's been times when I've really struggled with that. And uh, I've lived on my own for nine years now. So I'm very used to being on my own, but I hadn't appreciated how much having the choice to see other people was important to that. And so having that choice taken away and being told you have to be on your own, has been really tough actually. And I think I'm quite a resilient person. So I instantly went into, right, how can I make this a good situation for me? What can I do? But there have been big things in my life that have been taken away, which has been tricky. So I sing in lots of amateur choirs. So I haven't been able to do that. And even meeting on Zoom to sing has been good, but it's just not the same. And so every now and then I'm having a little moment where I think, oh, when am I going to be back in a room full of people or on a stage singing a piece of music? And I get very teary thinking about that because it's going to be a really long time. And, And that's been a huge part of my life since I was, you know, seven or eight. What's it like doing the virtual choir on Zoom? Oh, it's so much fun. The conductors are just brilliant because you you log on and they've got a piano or an accompanist and they run the rehearsal like normal, but you're muted so they can't hear you, which is probably a good thing because I'm, I'm a bit rusty at the moment, but you sing your piece and then they say, that's sounding wonderful. Can I just hear the altos again, just at bar 45? And for a minute, you sort of think that they can hear you and that they're getting this wonderful sound. So you sort of suspend your belief for a few minutes and then you look around and you realise I'm just sat in my little spare room with my laptop and it's just me making a horrible noise. But what's been really great is um, the community that I had from joining these choirs has stuck with me throughout this period. So even though we haven't been able to meet up and sing, I have stayed in touch over Zoom with these people. And I think had I not had that community, it would have been even harder. What do you get out of being in a choir generally then? It's it's really difficult to explain. You get these group of people together and you might not know them when you when you first join and and you pick up a piece of paper that has lines and dots on it and a person stands at the front of the room and waves at you and the piano starts and suddenly you make this music and it, it it feels really amazing that you can get together with this group of people that you don't really know and produce something really beautiful and the pieces we're singing at the moment are really dealing with turmoil and humanity and connection so every piece that we we pick apart suddenly there's something that's really relevant to the the crisis that we're in today and it's so powerful and and it's what's really lovely and what I'm missing a lot is when you perform a piece with your audience and they have that feeling as well that you've conveyed the meaning to them and they have an emotional moment it's it's magical it's yeah it's wonderful I can see how you miss that doing it on zoom it's not the same is it 
it's not the same. The, the tingly feeling you get when we all sing together is missing. And we're all talking about how the first time we sing together, when we can actually get back together, it will just be so emotional because we'll really realize what we've lost. Have you thought about what you would like to sing together at that point? Yeah, we've been rehearsing a piece of music called The Peace of the Wild Things. When the world's too much. The poet who wrote it talks about going to where the wood drake is, this very still, peaceful area, and realizing just for a moment that you can find peace in that space. And I think that's really been the piece for us to think about that when there is all of this chaos and turmoil, and when we're all feeling like it's a bit much, we can just take a moment to look out of our window or go and sit outside and find that peace, the peace of the wild things. And I think when we sing that together, there'll just be floods of tears. How long have you been living on your own? I've been on my own for the last nine years. And relationships? Yeah, so I met my partner uh, nearly eight years ago and we decided not to live together and actually that was going to be what worked for us. So, um, you know, we see lots of each other in our spare time. We go on holiday together. He's, you know, a real support and companion to me. We just don't share a house. And I think that's not a common choice but it is but there are more and more people who are in that situation for one reason or another yeah i interviewed an actor once who his partner lived two doors down from him on the same street mm-hmm. and they'd been together for years and it was just he said it was the perfect relationship for both of them they spent a lot of time together mm-hmm. then they also had their own places that they went off to and had their own separate lives and to me it sounded like a great way to live actually yeah I think whatever way if you're in a relationship there will always be some sort of compromise and it's just choosing what you want to compromise on so I don't have to compromise on the space or have to share a house with someone so maybe if I've come back from work or I'm having a bad day I can be quiet and I don't have to answer to anyone and I, I have all of that choice but then on the flip side you know I have to do everything so I can't get someone else to take the bins out or do the washing up. You know, you have to do the lot. And, and so I think I think it's about what you need the most and you're happier to compromise on. Did you always think that actually I, I don't want to live with someone? I want to live on my own. And if you did, then when you got together with this person, was there a discussion to be had to see if they would be OK with that? Or how did that work? 
I can't really remember it being a definite, I need to have the conversation, but um, he's a little bit older than me. I was 13 when we got together. So, um, you know, fairly early on, we were having a conversation about, you know, children and kids because he he's got kids already and didn't want to have more and I don't want to have children so that kind of was like okay well that works you know wherever this is going you know we need to sort of agree on that because if I'd wanted to have children or he had there's a disconnect there um so I think we probably talked about that but didn't particularly then talk about the living situation but it just it just seems to work so when you embarked on the relationship was it always in your mind that you know this person isn't moving in (laughs) subconsciously (laughs) Um, I'm quite an independent person and buying my house and it being my space was a really big deal for me is that very important to you in life to have your Mm. own space and nobody invading that if you like yeah I'm I'm a really big introvert um, and I, I love spending time with people but I find if I've had a lot of interactions with people I just need that peace and quiet um, I also have a, a chronic health condition. I have an underactive thyroid and that leaves me with a lot of fatigue and tiredness. And so being able to just come home, shut the door on the world and rest and do things at my own pace and not have to interact with lots of people and noisy and busy is, is just, I need that. Um, and it's been interesting actually that how much having a chronic illness prepares you for lockdown <laughs> because, you know, there's so many similarities between things I've had to deal with with my health and that we've all had to deal with over the last few months. Has that made lockdown a bit easier in the sense that you were prepared in a way? One big thing is is that with the fatigue, I've had to learn to do less and to give myself more time to rest. So it, in, in the past, it's not been uncommon that I would come home from work on a Friday and sort of shut myself away for three days, maybe go to the supermarket, but that's it. And I just wouldn't have the energy to, to go out and see people and do lots of socialising. Um, so obviously lockdown has been on a much bigger scale, but just that sort of sense of fairly regularly having two or three days at home, not really seeing anyone learning to you know keep myself busy and, and engaged and happy in my own space. I've, I've practiced doing that. And I think also learning how to deal with the disappointment of not being able to do everything you want. You know, when you, when you have a limited amount of energy, you have to be really choosy about where you spend it. So you can't just say yes to everything. You have to think about what you're going to have energy for and maybe say no to things so that you can rest. And again, that, you know, lockdown has taken an awful lot away from people from, the sort of joyful side of life never mind the the challenges with the financials and all of that but you know not being able to go and see your friends and family for dinner or go to a concert or, or those sorts of things you know I think I've I've had a lot of having to deal with that sort of disappointment over the last 10 years and so I've had to learn how to really enjoy the things I can do. In a way lockdown hasn't been too difficult for you would you say? It's had its moments I think in it was about May, I had a really big wobble. And I think it was between the government make, changing the law so that it was illegal to have somebody in your house and before they introduced the social bubbles. So bet- between those two periods of time, I felt very, very isolated. And it was things like my partner just couldn't come into my house. So we couldn't sit down and just have a private conversation about anything. Our relationship had to be in the park or in the garden. And that, that was where we could talk about, you know, very, you know, private personal things. And that felt really like I'd had something really taken away at that point. Up until then, it felt like, well, this is just something we have to deal with. It's going to be for a little while, but I can, I can cope with that. But that happening and then having no sense of when that was going to end felt really difficult. Um, 
But then once the social bubble then came in and as a person living on your own, you were allowed to bubble up with another household that that suddenly felt, OK, I've got a bit of support now. Yeah, I remember um, I was home in uh, Northern Ireland, staying with my sister for quite a while. And my parents lived down the road and had to speak to them through the window. And then I remember it came to the point where there was a change in policy where two households could arrange to visit each other and go into each other's houses. And I remember going into my, you know, my mum and dad's kitchen and sitting down and it was just, it was the most amazing feeling that I was mm-hmm. back in the house with them. It was incredible, you know? Yeah. I remember being really, really happy at that point thinking it's over now. This is great. We're back to some sort of normality. Of course it isn't, mm-hmm. but uh yeah, that was a nice, that was a nice point. When you, you know, when you try and look back at good points during this, that was one of them. Yeah. Tell me about the chickens. My chickens. I've kept chickens for years and years and they are just the best pets. Are they really? Oh, they are wonderful. So you keep them outside so there's no mess in the house. And despite what you might think, chickens have their own little personalities. So during lockdown, I had three. I had Betty Davis, who was eight, uh, and then Ginger Rogers and Edith Piaf. Now, Betty was a silky, really fluffy chicken with lots of feathers. Silky chickens have an extra toe. They've got blue skin and their feathers don't have any barbs in them. So they're little fluff balls. And then the other two, uh, Ginger and Edith, are peaking bantams, so they're teeny tiny ones. Betty stopped laying a long time ago, but Ginger and Edith produce these lovely tiny little eggs, which are just delicious. Um, And they're great. You go out into the garden with a cup of tea and they just cluck around and they dig up the flower bed. And it's a bit gross sometimes. Edith in particular loves slugs, so she will completely decimate a slug. And yeah, they're, they're, they're just wonderful. And It sounds weird. They don't exactly keep you company quite like maybe a dog would, but it's something to go outside for. And the noise that they make is just so relaxing, the kind of clucking. Would you interact with them like you would with a dog and talk to them and stroke them and that sort of thing? Yeah. Oh, I have I have lots of chats with them. Um, What do you talk about? (laughs) Mostly asking them not to eat the flowers and to get out of the flower beds. they went through a phase of eating cat poo. So there was a lot of disgust on my part that they shouldn't be doing that. But they're, they're quite obedient. So you tell them to go inside when you want to go back in the house and they'll, they'll take themselves off inside. You have to speak to them with, with chicken language. I mean, they understand English, but if you bock at them, that's, you know, <laughs> they understand that better. Yeah, I can so imagine. Have a, have a good little chat with them. But yeah, they're just they're they're real they're really lovely. And very sadly, I had to have Betty Chicken put to sleep a few weeks ago. She'd she'd got a tumor in her beak, and so she couldn't eat, which was really sad because I'd had her for eight and a half years. Are you thinking of replacing her? I might do in the spring. It's um it's tricky having them in the winter because it's it gets dark so quickly and you know you have to be outside with them when you let them out. So if it's chucking it down with rain, you don't really want to sit in the garden. Mm. Although I have done with my big coat and hood so that they can have a good run around. So they're really good company then. Yeah. I never would have thought of them in that way. They're great. And they lay eggs. You know, a cat doesn't give you any food for your breakfast. That's true. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really great pets. And they've all got their own little personality and you sort of get to know them. The last question I'll just ask everyone, Laura, is why do you think you're on your own? I've been thinking about that, actually, knowing I was going to talk to you. And I think... 
I've always been really independent and I was chatting to my mum about this actually just this week when I was little. So my, my grandparents lived in Bangor in Northern Ireland and we would go and see them quite a lot. And I absolutely loved spending time with them. And my grandmother, Nan, always said, when are you going to come and see me on your own? So I pestered and pestered my mum and said, when can I go and see Nan? And she looked it up and you had to be six to be on an aeroplane by yourself. So the minute I turned six, I was saying I need to go and see Nan. So the Christmas after I turned six, I was six and a half. Dad drove me to the airport. He signed me over to a stewardess, put me on a plane and I flew over to Belfast to go and visit Nan and Papa for the week. And I have such vivid memories of that trip. I sat next to a lovely old lady on the plane on the way over. She gave me a pound coin. Everybody I went to visit that trip gave me a pound. So I came back with more money than I went with. And on the flight home, I sat next to a man with a gold tooth and I just absolutely loved it. And I think I don't know whether I was always independent and therefore that's why I did that or whether doing that really gave me a sense of independence. But I would go and see them every between Christmas and New Year for like the next seven years. And that just became a thing I did. And I and I absolutely loved it. And then when I was 18, friends of my parents called out of the blue and said, did I want to go nanny for their children just outside of San Francisco? And I thought that sounds great. And so I've always had this this independent streak. And so living on my own, just feels really normal and if anything living with other people is harder <laughs> I like being on my own as well I have to do say. you oh I, I absolutely love it you know you know have relationships and stuff but it's just when you come in and close the door to me that's the greatest feeling you know just it's just me yeah it's difficult at the moment because you don't see many people you might see people in uh, go for a walk in a park or something but even so sitting here in the flat day in day out I, I never feel lonely at all never during the lockdown there's been a few points where I've thought why don't I live with anyone I you know there's there's nobody here and I'm all by myself but then you realize that actually this is this is just an unusual period of time and I think those moments where I have maybe felt a bit lonely are fleeting they pass living on my own just feels really natural and I enjoy it and I know that I need to work hard to make sure I do see other people and and to not cut myself off but it just feels it just feels really good. <laughs> 